0: I'm gonna ask you to remember back or think back into high school and I wonder if any of you were in this situation. Your teacher assigned you into a group. There are five people in this group, okay? And in this group, somebody is going to write the introduction, somebody is going to write the body of the paper, somebody is going to write the conclusion, somebody is going to do a visual aid and somebody is going to do the oral presentation. You remember those projects? Were you ever assigned into one of those projects? Now, I don't know about you But when I was assigned to those projects, whatever team I was on, there is five people on the team, but only about three people that end up doing all of the work. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah. So there's three kinds of students. There was one student that wants to make sure that their GPA is perfect. So they are going to make sure that this project is good because see, what happens is everyone gets the same grade in this project, right? And then there's a student who just doesn't care, and you know what, they're okay, they're gonna do it because it's an assignment, but you know, and then there's somebody on that team that is absolutely going to do nothing. Not gonna do anything. You know that person, right? You do. Now, as a matter of fact, the other students on the team are already upset because they know that that person isn't going to do anything, right? And that person just got assigned to that team and Oh, man, that's frustrating. So here's what you have. You have five people and they have one goal, but all five of those people have different goals in mind. Some of them, their goal is to do nothing and skate by. But you know, it's not really the individuals who make that goal, right? There's one person who has control of the goal, and that's the teacher. The teacher here set the goal. For all five of these people to accomplish one task, there is... There's something so amazing when we look back at these high school projects and we look at different things from our, our younger years and how we can see through this presentation, this high school presentation, and how we can connect this with what goes on with our, our spiritual walk with God. Let me tell you something. In your spiritual walk, listen very carefully, God always does His part. God always always does his part and he does his part with so much energy and with so much enthusiasm and with so much passion and I wonder if God ever is 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 just looking at us and saying you know what I'm doing my part I'm just waiting for you to do your part I wonder if God ever looks at us like that this morning we are going to focus on one specific area of your Christian walk. And I promise that everyone in here is either struggling with it, wants to get better at it, or has never even attempted yet. And this is one of those areas in our Christian walk that it is so easy to determine and to see what our part is. See, in this area, Out of 100% of the project, God has already told us our part is 10%. For those of you who have been with me for a while, you know that I preach on tithing twice a year. And specifically at these times of year. First is the weekend before Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Because what's going to happen is we're about to go into a season where we are going to, to, to spend, we're going to put all of our effort and all of our money into earthly treasures. And it happens every year that we forget about God. We forget about the church during the Christmas season. This time of year, I'll preach on it the week before Memorial Day. Remember that for next week, year and please still be here. Okay. So because here's the thing is that a lot of people are going to go on vacation. And they're going to forget about the, the church. But here's the thing. Over the summer, the, the church still continues working. D- during, the holiday, during the holidays, the church still continues working. During the hard times, the s- church still continues working. Even during a pandemic, the church continues working. When the word tithe is used in the Old Testament, it's a word that literally means a 10th. You can't have a 2% tithe. Tithe means a 10th or 10%. And and God's people were to bring a 10th of their harvest to the Lord. You and I, we don't harvest grain anymore. We don't go out and, and cut the and, and, and cut all of the the garden and and bring that. That's not how we live. What we do is we trade our labor for finance, and then we use our finance to go and buy grain. That is our harvest. To go to work, to get a check, to bring it home. I know, that's That's hard. But that's what God was talking about when he gave the Israelites this command. Let me tell you something that God already knows about your money. God knows that you have bills. God knows that you have student loans. God knows that your electric bill in the summer is sky high because you run your air conditioning all the time. Right, God already knows that. With, with everything that we need money for, God took all of that into consideration when He gave us our part. When it comes to giving God His tithes and our offering, God never asked us individually to take care of all of the bills at the church. He didn't say to do that. He says your individual part in your finance is 10%. Let's look at being fair. If, if, if our individual part is 10%, what does that leave? That leaves God 90%, right? That's not fair. What that is, is grace. That is God doing what only God can do. There was something that I learned late in life. Kelly and I were on our way over to our pastor's house years ago, and we were going for an evening for, for a dinner, or um, it was like a Christmas event, I believe, and on the way, Kelly said, oh, we've got to stop. I'm like, what do you mean we've got to stop? She's like, oh, we've got, we got to stop and, and get a gift, we've got to stop and get flowers, or take a dish, or something like that. And, and, and I learned at that moment, this was late in my life, way too late, is that I learned that When you go to somebody's house, when you're invited over to somebody else's house, you don't go without bringing a gift, right? You might take flowers or you might take a plant, but you don't go to somebody else's house if you're empty. You don't go empty-handed, right? And when I learned this, I thought, wow, that's kind of an unwritten rule. I didn't really under, understand it but it's not it's not an unwritten rule at all it's actually been right under our noses the entire time i want to put this i don't know if the screen is working if it is that it's going to be up here on the screen i want you to see what god is telling the israelites this is in the book of deuteronomy i'm in chapter 16 and i want to start in verse number 16. god is talking to the israelites and he's given them directions and instructions on some ceremonies that he wants them to partake in i'm in verse number 16 of Deuteronomy 16, God says this, three times a year all of your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place which he, which God chooses, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Booths, and they are not to appear, watch this, before the Lord empty-handed. Maybe in our Western culture, we have fallen away from this tradition, this common etiquette that says if you, if you go and visit somebody else's house that you don't show up empty handed. But I bet your grandparents knew that, right? I bet your parents knew that, right? It is so important that God put it in his financial rule book. For us as a common courtesy, as a show of respect. But but many of us show up on Sunday morning as we've been invited to God's house, but we come and and we don't bring a gift to the Lord. It happens quite often. On the back of your bulletin are some fill in the blanks for those of you Maybe joining us for for the first time. There's some fill in the blanks there. If the screen's working, they're going to be up on the screen as well. And I'd ask you to write this down. Point number one in your notes this morning is this: God owns everything that you think you own. God owns everything that you think you own. Everything that you have was given to you. The Apostle Paul writes this to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 26. He says, for, this is God talking, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Psalms 20, uh, 24, 1. David writes, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all of its people belong to him. Exodus 19, chapter five. Now if you will obey me and keep my commandment, you will be my own special treasure among all the peoples on earth, for all the earth belongs to me. This is God talking. Job 41, 11. who has given me anything that I need to pay back? This is God talking. Everything under the sun is mine. Haggai chapter two, verse number eight, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's army. Church, let there be no argument about What belongs to you? What belongs to us? Because nothing belongs to us. It is all God's stuff. It is all God's. Many of you live in a house that you say, well, this is my house, welcome to my house. But I bet you that 20 years ago, somebody else in another family may have lived in that house. And they said, hey, welcome to my house, look at my house. And I bet you in 20 years from now, somebody else is going to live in that house. And they're gonna say, hey, welcome to my house. Look, it, it's something that we are borrowing while we are here. That's not our house, this is God's stuff, right? We are to be stewards of God's stuff. It's his house, we honestly own nothing. The money in our pocket, the money in our bank account, the money in our retirement account, our 401k, the money under our, under our mattress, none of it belongs to us. It's all God's stuff, it's all God's. He, 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 he says, he wants us to be a steward of his His stuff, His money. We like to say, oh, well, I went to work, and I worked hard for this, and I can do with it whatever I want. Really not the case. You went to work because that's what we're told to do obediently. We are to work. We're going to get to that in a few weeks. But God has has said, you are a steward. You are to take care of my stuff. And God has entrusted you with His money to manage. He's entrusted you with his money to manage. Who else in your life would trust you that much? By by our actions, we show what our goals are. We show what our priorities are. And even when, when our priorities don't show that God is the first thing in our lives, is the first priority in our life, God still trusts us. We are to be stewards of everything he owns. A steward, it's typically a manager. Somebody who manages. Think about your apartment manager, okay? he stewards. He takes care of the complex. God didn't give us the responsibility to manage his money for us to do with it whatever we please. He gave us a responsibility to manage his money to do with it whatever he pleases. To do with it what he has in mind. So here's the thing. God gave you 100% of the money that you have. He only asks you back for 10% of it. Okay. And he tells you, you can go ahead and keep the other 90%. You can live off of it. You can do whatever you want with it. It is all yours and good. 10%. 90 is yours. That's what you get. Now that is God's example of fair. I have never known any kids on the playground that say, okay, we're going to do a 90-10 split. No. What fair is 50-50, right? That's what we look at as fair. Nobody says 90-10 is fair. That's God's grace. It's going to bring us to the second point in your notes this morning. Your giving back to God reflects your faith in God's ability to provide for you. Your giving back to God reflects your faith in God's ability to provide for you. So out of everything that we own, which is nothing, God has given you 100%. Of the finance of, of of the harvest that you are bringing in, he asks for ten percent so that you can provide, and, and and you keep the other ninety so that you can provide for your family, so that you can take care of 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 your bills. But some of us still we say we say God, God, we love you, but we don't trust you enough to be our financial planner. I love you, but I, it's this is this is gonna this is gonna be enough when we don't we don't have enough faith that we could live off of the 90% because for some reason, we think that we are better financial managers than God is. If you're over 40, you might recognize this. If you are under 40, this isn't gonna make any sense to you at all. Just go ahead and laugh at some of the jokes in this illustration, okay? I wonder if you have ever played this. It's called the Extend the Paycheck Over the Weekend Challenge, okay? So this is what happens. You get paid on Monday but you need groceries on Friday, and what you could do back in the 80s and 90s is you could go to the bank or to the store on Friday, get your groceries. You could write them a check and hand them the check because what happens is they're not going to get that paper check to the bank until Monday. So what you did is you just extended your paycheck over the weekend to get to to Monday. Let me tell you in reality what you just did. You just wrote a check that you can't cash. God has never done that. God has never done that. God has never been late on an electric bill because he didn't have enough money. God has never filed for bankruptcy. God has never had his driver's license suspended because he didn't show up in court and pay a speeding ticket on time. God has never owed money to the IRS because he miscalculated his taxes. God has never, watch this, God has never, oh, this one hurt bad, accidentally double paid his car payment and then shorted himself $362 next month because GM won't give him his money back. God has never done that. He, he has never received a text message telling him that he's 12 days late on his cell phone bill. He hasn't. You know who has done every one of those things? Me. I'm, one, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands if anyone else has ever fallen into any of those categories. But God never has. And I, I, I bet some of these things have happened to you as well. But for some reason, with all of these issues, we say, God, I'm a better financial manager than you are and God's got none of these problems. For some reason, even with our terrible financial track record, we trust ourselves with our 90% and God's 10% more more than we trust God, who wrote the financial manual for our lives, and God has never had a financial difficulty in all of eternity, but we won't trust Him. Why are we putting our financial track record record, up against God's financial track record and we're telling God that we can do it better. Jesus was at church one day. True story. He um, He was at church one day with his disciples at the church and they were just kind of people watching as, as people came in and out of church. And, and there at that church, they didn't have an offering bag and they certainly weren't texting in money at all. What they had was a box and people would come up to this box and they would put in their money before they went into the church. And in Mark chapter 12, we see that, that Jesus, he speaks to his disciples because there's this lady, there's an old lady that comes up to the box and she just puts in Two small coins into the box. And I want you to see what Jesus says. I'm in Mark chapter 12, verse number 41. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. And then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than any of the others, uh, more than all the others who are making contributions for. They gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, as poor as she is, has given everything that she had to live on. See, this lady didn't come to church that day to give God 10%. She came to church that day and gave God everything. Let me ask you this. What percentage of trust in God do you think that she has in her mind right now? She just gave it all away. See, if, if giving to God measure, measures her trust in God to provide for her, that's 100% trust because she gave everything that she had okay so the sermon's not going there i'm not asking you to bring everything that you got okay that's not where we're going but jesus recognized the difference i've talked to a lot of christians about tithing i've been to many conferences and talked to Um, Many other pastors, and I've had that conversation about tithing to, to many different people. And I'll tell you, I have never met a single person who has ever told me that they regret the fact that they gave God back his 10%. Never. Have I heard somebody say that? But I'll tell you what I have heard. I have met people who have told me that they regret spending so much money at Christmas time because they're still paying off their credit card bills in July. I have met people who have told me that they regret splurging so much on that vacation because it's starting to come back and hurt. I have met people, I have met people who back in the 1990s spent $1,000 on a Beanie Baby, right, The stuffed animal, and now are seeing this thing as being totally worthless because, you know, the fad has gone out of style. It's not worth anything anymore. I've, I've, I've known people, and you've known people, who you look and you say, wow, what are you doing with your money, right? but we won't trust God. I don't know anyone who has ever come up and said, Pastor, I regret giving God his 10%. I shouldn't have done that. Here's the third point in your notes this morning. Giving should be sacrificial and generous. Giving should be sacrificial and generous. You've heard me say this before, that we're told to bring God our first fruits, not our leftovers. When the Israelites went into the Promised Land, when they went into uh, Cana, they they were told that they were to give God the first fruits of their harvest. They were to bring a sacrifice to the temple. But there was a point that God had to start scolding the people because the. The people, they were bringing lambs with three legs and, and, and animals that were scarred. And, and God had to say, to, to, to say, you know, that's enough. Stop bringing me your junk. See, people were bringing their leftovers to God. They were bringing the stuff that's left over from their yard sale, the stuff that they don't want, the stuff that they are comfortable living without. That's what they were giving to God. I wonder if that's what... what we ever give to God. That's not sacrifice. A true gift, a true gift takes something away from us that we want and it gives it to somebody else because we love them. It's a true gift. God's tithes and our offerings should be generous. What good is it If we go to church on Sunday morning, we come here to this house without preparing a a gift for God. We walk into church empty handed as if God is an afterthought. As if the offering is an afterthought. What if if we come in and and now we just give God whatever it is that we happen to have in our pocket, right? Oh, here's the kids with the bag again. I ought to put something in there. That's not generous. What that is, is that's just taking something out of our pocket to put into the bag so that we can check a box and say we, we did something, but that's, that's not what God asks us to do. Here's the, here's the big question for you. I wonder if you have ever done this. I'm going to guess that maybe you, you haven't. When you get in the car to go to church... And you've got, you're ready to go. You've got, you're in reverse, you're pulling out. You're, wait, 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 wait. I've got to go back in because I, I forgot my, oh, I forgot my gift to God. Hold on a second. Let me go back into the house. When was the last time that we made God's gift, his tithe, and our offering part of our preparation to go to church on Sunday morning? What about this checklist before you leave your house for church? What about this? Here's your checklist. Got my Bible, check. Got my car keys, check. Got my glasses, because I need them now, right? Check. Got all three of my kids, check. Got the neighbor's kids, check. I've got my gift to God, check. See, our giving to God, to our Lord and Father, should be a sacrifice, but should also be Generous. I want you to see what Paul says. He's writing to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter eight. He writes this, I'm in verse uh, verse number eight, or chapter eight, one through five. Paul writes this, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. What Paul is doing is he is on a missionary journey and he's walking, he's going to these different churches that he has planted in the past. And Paul is collecting an offering that is going to be used for the Christians that are in Jerusalem because they are, they are really, really poor and, and, and they are, they're under a lot of stress right now. So he's collecting from other churches. I'm in verse number two. Paul says this, they have been tested by many troubles and they are very poor but they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed rich in generosity. For I can testify that they have not only given what they can afford, but far more. He's talking about the other churches. And he says, and they did it of their own free will. They even begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. So here Paul is coming to this next church. He's going to preach there for a while. And he's taking this collection to take back to Jerusalem with him. And here's a church saying, okay, Paul, we want in. What, is it, what does it take to get in on this? Because we want to make sure that we're part of the group of churches that has taken care of the church in Jerusalem. What do we have to do? We want in. And he might have said, okay, you know what, um, come up with this amount. And they doubled it we are like, yeah, we're, we're going to do, do more than that. Let me tell you, once you start giving to God, his 10%, you won't want to stop. Because now we recognize what is God's and what is ours. Let me give you some statistics. In American church culture, when it comes to giving, when it comes to tithing, only 3% of those who attend a church on a regular basis actually tithe. Tithe is 10%, okay? 3%, that's four, 3% actually tithe. Only 20% of all churchgoers, only 20%, one in five, actually give anything at all. Of that, 80% of that 20% give about 2% of their income. Tithers, though, scientifically we found that they are 40% less likely to owe significant debt. Talk about God's blessings, right? Most tithers give 11 to 20% of their income. And here's the one that is really sad. This hurts. Younger Americans tithe rarely or never. Or never. It's something that the church quit teaching about a while back because let's face it, it's kind of uncomfortable, right? People say, oh, all the church wants is my money. Uh, that's That's not it. What the church wants is for a church body to be obedient, right? And that's how, that's how this, this works. This, this giving to God, it, it, it fosters a deeper understanding of stewardship. It, it actually encourages Christians to become intentional and thoughtful in their resources. Now we're thinking about where our money is going because first fruits means God is getting his portion first. Not last. When Christians decide to become serious about their giving, they will often find that they are more responsible. This is so important. They are more responsible with 90% than they used to be with 100%. They'll find they're more responsible. God actually gave the Israelites instructions for giving the tithe and he implemented this into our financial life and you would be amazed. You would be amazed once you start tithing how that next paycheck that comes around, when you skip that, how you're going to notice that. You're going to to notice. You're You're not going to want to miss that again. I'm going to Leviticus chapter 23. I'm in verse number 10. It says, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. This is God talking to Moses. When you enter the land, I am giving you, and you harvest from its crops, bring the, bring the priests a bundle of grain from the first cutting of your grain harvest. The Israelites, they lived in an agricultural world. That's what they had. They had farms and they had animals. And, and, and God has told them that when you go out and you start harvesting your crops... That is literally, that's how they get paid. That is their work paying off, because they're going to turn around and sell that. And that might be one harvest that they do in one week, and that's going to supply their family financial needs for the rest of the year. But God told his people to bring the first yield of the crops, the first fruits of their labor, to God, to the church, to the priests. This was, this was for them to demonstrate their obedience and their reverence for God. And it also showed this, this is so important. It showed once they took their first 10% out of their crops and they gave it to God, it shows now that they trust that God is going to provide enough for their family with the remaining 90% of the crops. Like you're forced now to trust in God because that first 10%, it's gone, right? Now it's not gone, it's a gift. It's given back to God is what it's doing. So I don't want you to think like, oh, we lost that. Imagine that, imagine all of your crops are ready and the first 10% you can't sell, okay? Imagine you get your check and the first 10% you can't do anything with. That is to go to God. And what does that do? That shows us, you know what? Now I can tell, I can tell you where my first financial priority is. We're talking about priorities, right? Our first financial priority, I'm going to take care of God with that. You know what a lot of people say? I hear this often. I actually heard this yesterday. You know my bills and my rent and, you know, this child support and and this, there's just not enough left over. I just don't know what's left over that I can give to God. See, here's the thing. God never asked for leftovers. He asked for our first fruits. If you give God what is His first, you don't have to worry about what what you're giving God at the end of the month because we've already given God our first fruits. Here's the fourth point in your notes this morning. Giving is an act of worship. Giving is an act of worship. Now a few minutes ago I told you how we can give online and, and the kids came around with a bag and I gave you a QR code in your bulletin. Now, I didn't hear anyone out here uh, clapping and singing and raising their hands when we were giving the tithe, but it is an act of worship. See, if giving is a way of worship, it has to be more than simply checking a box to saying, I participated. It's actually making sure that our heart is in the right place when we give back to God. In Genesis chapter 4, the very first two brothers of all creation, they're seen in an episode giving back to God. And I want you to see this. We we notice a difference between what what God sees as a gift from these two brothers. Genesis chapter 4, I'm in verse number 3. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portion of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. And this made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Did you just see what Abel brought? You see what Abel brought to the Lord? He brought the best portions of his firstborn of the flock. Now, what would we say is the best portions of what we have in income? Well, probably the first thing, right? Right off the top. The first thing. That is the best portion that we could give to God. And when we're doing that, we're trusting that God is going to take care of our necessities. And what we're doing is we're actually trusting God before we give to him. Isn't that amazing? Like, why do we give? We give because it's obedience, but also because we trust God with that 90% more than we can trust ourselves with that 100%. And I know why you're not trusting God with 10% right now. It's because you're worried. You're worried that you can't make it on that 90% because you've had those tough months in the past. You say, well, what what, what if I have an unexpected emergency come up? I need to have this this fund. I need to have that that here. This is amazing the way that God works. So long ago, God already addressed your objection that you're objecting it today. You're saying right now, God, what if, and God already addressed that. He did. I'm in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 25. This is what Jesus is, has said. He says, this is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food to drink, clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food in your body, more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than they are? Worry. Worry gone. Aren't you more valuable? God provides for them. Aren't you more valuable than they are? I want you to know how important this sermon is this morning. Not only is it on the regular schedule, but it is very important because tithing is a, a spiritual discipline. It's something that individually, yeah, we need to grow better at. Let me tell you how to, how to figure out 10%. Really easy here. Whatever is on your check, we learned this in elementary school and some of us forgot, I forgot it too. You just move the decibel, one spot. Just one spot, okay? You wanna figure out 10%, just move the decibel, one spot. Let me tell you that It is so important. And it's not simply because it is a spiritual difficulty in our lives, and I know that. And one of these days I'll come up and we'll talk about the whole Old Testament, New Testament thing, okay? A lot of people will say, Pastor, you've quoted so much Old Testament today, the tithe is an Old Testament thing. And I'll come back and and, and I'll, I'll tell you why I'll tell you why Jesus actually... You know the Pharisees? We've talked about the Pharisees. They're this group of religious leaders that, that, that just cannot stand Jesus. And he didn't have anything good to say about them. Really didn't. Called them hypocrites. Called them snakes. There's only one time that he complimented them in the New Testament. And, and he says, you tithe and you pray. But you do all of that, but you forget all of these other things that I'm asking from you. You're forgetting about kindness. You tithe, good job. It's the only compliment that he ever gave them. In Jesus' day, they tithed. And that's 10%. I'm going to end with this. There was a time when the Pharisees came and they, and they, and they showed Jesus a coin and they were really trying to, to trick him. And they said, there's a Caesar's faces on that. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? And it's a trick question. But what Jesus told them this, and you might have this memorized. You might remember this. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. You know what they knew as being God's at that time? The tithe was God's. You hear me every week. I come up, and this is purposeful. We're going to bring the Lord His tithes And our offerings, the tithe is not ours. That's God's. Anything above that, that's our offering. I know it's tough to start from nothing or to go from every now and then or when I feel that I can afford it to saying 10%. And let me tell you, I don't expect that day number one. I don't. I expect you to pray over this, to let this be day one to start praying over this. But do this. Let me give you this. God, this is so amazing. When God gave us tithe, he said 10%. He didn't say say $200 a week. He didn't say $500 a week. He says 10%. And you know why? Because when things are great, 10%. When things are low, 10%. So what we give to God moves with what we bring in. We don't have to give God 30% because we didn't make much this month. We don't. He said 10. So when things are hard, when the harvest isn't there, it doesn't mean we have to give the same thing we did last week when when the harvest was plenty. It's a moving scale. Thank you, God, for that grace. Thank you for that moving scale. If you can't can't say, you know what, I can do 10 right now, I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to pray about five. I'm going to ask you to pray about five and then say, Pastor, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to look at increasing that a half a percent every three months. And I'm going to trust the Lord and see what He'll do with that. I'm just going to ask you to pray about that. It's obedience. The church isn't here just to bring in a bunch of money. Final thing I promise. I promise, David. Some of you have been with me a long time and you've heard me say that we are not a somebody else church. There's not enough of us to be a somebody else church. There is not somebody else who is going to go and take care of kids' ministry. There is not somebody else who is going to bring the equipment on Sunday mornings. David, there is not somebody else that is going to lead worship. This is our church, and there is not somebody else that is going to take care of the church financially. It is all our job. Amen?